0: Welcome to the CBIA BizCast. I'm your host, Ali Wershawski, and today on our podcast, we're joined by Brenda Eckert of Shipman & Goodwin. Brenda was a panelist at our Connecticut Economy Update, and she focused on immigrants and hiring immigrants. We found her conversation just so fascinating that we invited her back to the BizCast to elaborate a little bit more on what employers can do to hire more and how that could potentially help our labor shortage here in Connecticut. So welcome to the podcast, Brenda.
1: Well, thank you for your kind words, Allie. I'm delighted to be here.
0: And, you you know, before we get into the meat of things, you practice employment-based and family-based immigration law. Give us a background on your career. I know you've been with Shipman and Goodwin a long time, but how did you get interested in in this particular
1: type of law? Well, let me say first that I'm a Connecticut native and I'm a graduate of UConn Law School. Go Huskies. My first year after law school, I clerked for the Honorable John O. Newman, Mm Then in the U.S. District Court in Connecticut, mainly in Hartford and New Haven. Actually, I got into immigration law inadvertently. As a young associate, a particularly um, imposing partner came to me with a problem, saying that we had one of our manufacturing clients that had tried to uh, bring in a chemist who was very important to their manufacturing processes on an H-1B, what we call specialty occupation, non-immigrant visa, and the visa had been denied. So as the junior associate, I was tasked with the um, problem or issue (laughs) of going to the library, learning immigration law, I'd never had any courses in (laughs) law school, and figuring out a way to get this very important chemist into the United States and Connecticut, so that he could help the company develop products that they were working on. I'm proud to say that I succeeded in that. (laughs) And that planted a seed, I became the expert in immigration at shipment. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, And actually, my career in immigration law Mm -hmm. really tracks the uptick um, in the diversity in the workplace and the increasing need of employers in Connecticut and elsewhere Mm -hmm. to rely on foreign workers to meet their needs Mm -hmm. for um, workers in skilled and unskilled and professional positions when those needs needs cannot be met in the United States. I really started out as an immigration, excuse me, an employment law lawyer. Mm -hmm. And um, more and more of my clients began to ask me immigration related questions. As the workplace became more diverse and as uh, the shortage of American workers developed, I was getting more and more questions from my employment law clients about, how they could employ foreign workers, and about I-9 questions, Mm -hmm. that seemingly simple form that stumps everyone, Uh, so that my employment-based immigration practice really evolved out of the increasing diversity in the workplace with foreign workers being brought into the workplace in Connecticut and elsewhere in the country because of the unmet skills need in our own U.S.-based work. So I'm sure you've seen the need
0: change from those years. Because at that point, right, it was a, probably a big corporation searching for the chemist they wanted. Now it's probably, um, like you said, some unskilled positions and some very skilled positions that there's more questions surrounding. You know, what challenges do employers face when trying to hire immigrants?
1: Well, very simply, part of it is their unfamiliar unfamiliarity. Mm-hmm. With U.S. immigrant visa types um, for temporary foreign workers, and with immigrant visa types for foreign workers who wish to reside and live here on a permanent basis. It's important that employers be given access to information about these immigrant and non-immigrant visa types. It will enable them to plan on the use of foreign workers to meet their unset needs unmet skills needs. Um, the H-1B visa cap. The H-1B visa is a non-immigrant visa for uh, professional workers uh, who have at uh, at least a baccalaureate degree in a field related to the job duties performed by the position. So the position must require at least a baccalaureate degree okay. and the, um, the foreign worker must have at least the equivalent of a U.S. baccalaureate degree or its foreign equivalent to in order to qualify for the visa. Uh, I can remember back in the dot-com days, and now mm-hmm. I'm dating myself, <laughs> when there were 190 H-1B non-immigrant visas available each fiscal year of the federal government. Over time, that has been cut down to a total of 85 H-1B non-immigrant visa numbers available for uh, most U.S. workers to use in order to bring in professional workers to fill these specialty occupations. There are some U.S. workers who are what we call H-1B cap exempt, but the majority of uh, of US workers are not H1B cap exempt. And therefore, they have to compete for those 85,000 H1B immigrant visa numbers.
0: So Um, I actually just wanted to clarify. So it's 85,000 that are available nationally a year.
1: Correct. And in fact, I should tell you that 20,000 of those 85,000 H1B visa numbers, Um, are allotted to foreign nationals who have a U.S. master's or higher-level degree. Okay. So that foreign nationals with bachelor's degrees Mm -hmm. from abroad or even U.S. bachelor degrees um, are somewhat disadvantaged because these visa numbers are handed out in an annual lottery that generally occurs in the first 15 days of March each year.
0: Okay, so if you have a master's, you have a better chance of getting one of them bachelor's. But then what happens? If you have a U.S. master's. U.S. Okay. Oh,
1: U.S. master's. Okay, Because that, even yep. individuals with a foreign master's do not get to compete for the mm. additional 20,000. They are in, they must get a visa number from the initial 65,000 visa numbers.
0: So that makes it even harder because obviously if you've gotten a U.S. master's, you're already here um whereas you could be applying from canada or from england or ireland and or africa yeah, or anywhere anywhere and mm. and now you're competing for a smaller number of someone who's already probably in the country and, and in contact with an employer they want to work with exactly one challenge where, where we've talked about now is the fact that there's just a limited number and they're very competitive. Um, what are some of the other that, challenges, I should say, that they would face if they were trying to obtain a visa
1: or um, employment in the U.S.? Well, federal immigration policies and adjudication trends can either increase or decrease the number of non-immigrant visas and sometimes immigrant visa numbers that uh, petitions and applications that are approved. So actually, depending upon the trend you may find that more h1b visas are granted to computer-based workers Mm -hmm. as opposed to fewer oh okay um sometimes we have a non-immigrant visa called the l1 intra-company transferee uh, visa for multinational managers and executives and individualized uh, and people of specialized knowledge And we have found that sometimes the adjudication trends make it harder for multinational executives and managers and specialized knowledge uh, workers to obtain one of these visas.
0: Hmm. That's so interesting. You think that um, the more, you know, if you're higher up in your company, the easier it would be for you to get somewhere. But that's just not the case. Um, you're explaining in the fact that there's different visas for different types of work. Um, someone with no immigration law experience, I wouldn't even know that. I wouldn't have thought that you could get one for computer science maybe easier one year than you could for a
1: different trade. Oh, yes. There are many different types of visas. And I said, as I said, it's important that U.S. employers gain access to the information about these various types of visas, non-immigrant and immigrant, that will enable them to bring foreign workers to this country to really meet unmet unmet skills needs. I'm very happy to say that there is an increasing competition for foreign workers um, because many U.S. employers have already discovered what a valuable resource they are um, in terms of making up for later labor shortages among U.S. workers. I will say that one of the challenges for a U.S. worker, excuse me, a U.S. employer seeking to employ a foreign national or to tap into the immigrant workforce is to create a reputation that the state and the local communities within the state are a place where being an immigrant is not a problem.
0: And that leads me into my next question is, you know, what are some of the challenges that immigrants face with getting a job in Connecticut? And how does Connecticut rank among other states? When we spoke offline, we spoke about transportation in Connecticut can be a little bit difficult getting to certain areas of the state, there's not always a bus line out there, as well as the state's cost of living, it's no surprise that it's very expensive to live in Connecticut.
1: Well, Allie, I'd like to address this question from the viewpoint of two groups of workers. Mm-hmm. First, those who are the professional workers uh, that would qualify for the H-1B visa or similar visas. You mentioned th- that there's were surprised types. to find out there were different visa types. Well, there's the H-1B-1 visa for citizens of Chile or Singapore, mm-hmm. and those categories are never oversubscribed. So we can tap into those countries as for professionals as we have greater mm-hmm. needs for skills, professional skills in the workplace. There's the E3 visa for Australian professionals, or the TN visa for professionals from Canada and Mexico. The, the O1 visa for individuals of extraordinary ability in the sciences and the art, in fact, Many of our biotech companies down in the uh, professional parks mm-hmm. that we have outside of New Haven, the Yale think tank, rely on the O1 visa, as do some of our healthcare organizations, in order to get physicians and scientists of extraordinary ability in the sciences. Um, so we have that group of workers. Then we have the other group of workers um, the skilled, the semi skilled. And the unskilled foreign workers. And if you'll just indulge me a moment and a few statistics um, about Connecticut's immigrant workforce, I think you'll be quite surprised mm-hmm. because in some respects we're not doing too badly. That's great. But in other respects, we have a lot of room for growth. Based on the 2018-2019 statistics from the American Immigration Council, about 15% of Connecticut's residents uh, are born in another country. About 16% of Connecticut residents were born in the United States but have an immigrant parent. Connecticut, in fact, does have a very sizable community of immigrants from which to recruit workers. 9% of these Connecticut residents are from India, 7% are from Jamaica, and 5% are derived from citizens of Poland, the Dominican Republic, and Ecuador. In March 2020, yet another resource for immigrant workers in the state, 3,560 um, Connecticut residents were DACA okay. beneficiaries. Nice. So that is an Also, a growing source of foreign nationals Mm -hmm. um, who can enter our local workforce. One third of all Connecticut, um, of all computer, you were mentioning that you didn't realize that there wasn't even a Mm -hmm. visa that would uh, allow foreign nationals to come in and obtain computer Mm -hmm. based jobs. Well, I'm happy to report that in 2018, one third of all Connecticut computer and math, science employees in Connecticut were immigrants. Okay. And two-fifths of Connecticut cleaning and maintenance and building and grounds employees were immigrants. So you can see we are attracting skilled as well as semi-skilled and skilled and Mm non-skilled workers. Uh, More than 53% of the immigrants in Connecticut have become naturalized citizens, which I think is very interesting. In fact, at the conference, if you recall, one gentleman stood up and talked about how he had gone through the process. Yes, of, of, AI uh, technologies, right. yes. Mm-hmm. Becoming first a student on an F-1 visa, and then inevitably going through to the mm-hmm. H-1B visa, getting his green card, and now becoming a citizen. Um, surprisingly, 81% of all Connecticut Um, immigrants speak English well or very well, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a need for access Mm -hmm. to English language programs. Uh, 37 percent of all Connecticut immigrants have a college degree or higher, which means that we're doing well Mm -hmm. with those H-1B visas and the other types of visas for professional workers. Um, And immigrant workers, made up actually 18 percent of all of Connecticut's labor force in 2018. So we have been making some strides, but a long way to go. Um, immigrant workers are throughout Connecticut's economy, the greatest number are in healthcare care and social assistance, in manufacturing, the retail trades, educational services, and construction. And I think this is very interesting, immigrant entrepreneurs comprised 24% of all self-employed Connecticut residents in 2019.
0: That's great. So with those statistics shows some good news for Connecticut, um, some surprising news, but there's obviously, like you said, still a long way to go. So what do we do or employers do to make it easier for there to be those percentages to go up in the next few years?
1: Well, I will tell you that Connecticut, as I said, is doing Mm. well, um, but it loses ground to California, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, Washington State, Mm -hmm. and Oregon, which Mm. are all recognized as being um, among the leading states in terms of attracting immigrant workers. I I think one funny aside is, is I was reading an article and preparing for today's presentation by an immigrant advocacy group. And they listed all of these states as being immigrant-friendly, immigrant-attractive states. Mm -hmm. And among them, they listed New Haven City (laughs) as a state. Um, And so our own New Haven, Connecticut Mm -hmm. was uh, actually ranked. Um, as competing with these states Mm. in terms of being attractive to immigrant workers. And that's because of the Elm City ID card,
0: which is
1: critical to Mm -hmm. allowing immigrants who are undocumented, who don't have a passport Mm -hmm. or other forms of ID, has not yet acquired a license, who really need that ID card without question. But states need to focus on, as I said, creating an environment both at the state level and at the community, local community level, where becoming, being an immigrant is not a problem. Mm-hmm. And part of that starts with the relationship between the local law enforcement authorities in a community and the immigrant community. We really have to start at the local level, um, as well as at the state level, in reaching out in a collaborative manner, um, and in communicating with immigrant support groups. Um, Connecticut has what they call the Connecticut Trust Act, Mm -hmm. which was passed in 2013, and it's aimed at fostering good relations. Between Connecticut law enforcement agencies and the immigrant population in Connecticut by setting guidelines for the um, release of information about um, detained immigrant subs- mm-hmm. uh, suspects mm-hmm. to ICE. Uh, so we have to work on clarifying those gu- guidelines as to when our law f- state and. Enf- and local mm-hmm. law enforcement agencies will um, release information to ICE uh, and detain sus- immigrant suspects. Mm-hmm. We really need to work at, in the state, clarifying the standards for the release of information between state agencies and ICE. Mm-hmm. Connecticut has entered into an agreement with ICE and to the part, mm-hmm. And by the way, ICE is the Immigrations yes. and Customs Enforcement mm-hmm. uh, uh, Division, or if you will, arm mm-hmm. of the Department of Homeland Security. But Connecticut has entered into this agreement with ICE and DHS um, and other immigrant agencies uh, to share and gather information on the Connecticut online law enforcement communication teleprocessing system. Um, it's called COLLECT, uh, that gives access to ICE and other federal immigration agencies to state DMV information, court dates, uh, probation information, voting certifications, and, and fishing and driving licenses, mm-hmm. okay? And so there needs to be a clarification in our state as to the standards for releasing this type of information from our state agencies to our federal immigration agencies. That's very critical to the immigration community, that there be a clarification of Mm -hmm. those standards. Um, It is important that we give access to our public uh, universities and colleges by treating immigrants as in-state residents, okay? Many of the states that compete with us do so. Um, and it's also important that we somehow give f- immigrant workers access to employment opportunities. Mm-hmm. How do we get those em- employment opportunities out to the communities? Um, and that's where, I, as I said, it starts with a commitment at the local and state level to consult, support, and collaborate with immigrant, with migrant organizations, excuse me giving them equal access to information and services. But there are several major areas that are of critical importance to immigrants, and one of those is the one you mentioned, transportation. Um, When you think about it, um, many immigrant workers, particularly at the semi-skilled, skilled, or unskilled level, only have access To old cars, Mm -hmm. believe it or not. They're the ones that are buying them off the the used car lot, the the bottom of the line, and therefore having reliable public transportation is critically important to them. In the cities, um, it may be less of a challenge, Mm -hmm. but when you have the manufacturing facility that is located in the suburban town, Or communities, some of our shoreline communities, they need reliable public transportation to get them to work because they can't often rely Mm -hmm. on their ride, which is often old and frequently breaks down. Um, Or they may not even have access to a car because they may not yet have the financial means. Mm -hmm. So having a good and efficient and widespread transportation system is extremely important. Um, access to affordable housing mm-hmm. is extremely important. It's up right there up on the top of the hit parade mm-hmm. for attracting immigrants to your state, mm-hmm. is giving them access to affordable housing. Um, it's particularly important at the, as I said, at the level of attracting the skilled semi-skilled and unskilled um immigrants to our state Uh, having as i said the ability to communicate Mm -hmm. learn english language learning Mm -hmm. programs are extremely important for attracting immigrants to your state
0: and i'm assuming with some like with that offering them free of cost too would be important
1: Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, Either through some type of state or local organization. But this is also something that employers can step Mm -hmm. up to do. And it can provide on-site English language programs. Um, Okay. As I said, obviously Connecticut workers who are are part of the immigrant community, the statistic that 81% of them, I think, was they speak Mm -hmm. English well, or better, um, shows that if they're afforded access to these English language programs, they do avail themselves of them and make good use of them. And, you know, you
0: spoke on um, the panel discussion about getting a driver's license can be challenging for many immigrants. And then you mentioned the Elm City ID card. How important is access to an ID, um, whether it's on the state or federal level, that needs to change so that they can be identified and and have the information to fill out an I-9 or um, whatever form they need to fill out to get the job?
1: Well, it is critical. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you think about it, how many times do are we now use, and increasingly so in this digital age, mm-hmm. are we asked to present our driver's license? Yes, I should and, memorize that number by
0: now, but I don't <laughs> have it memorized
1: and keep it in a convenient spot yeah. in your wallet. Um, we are increasingly asked to um, use our driver's license to uh, to uh, to establish our identity, mm-hmm. and if you don't have a passport, and you don't or you. For instance, many of the Ukrainian mm-hmm. and Afghan nationals have had to flee their countries without their mm-hmm. passports. How do you establish your identity? How do you get a job without establishing your identity? It's, it's the key to the tour, mm-hmm. if you will. And um, therefore, it is extremely important that we follow suit uh, uh, with New Haven. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, it has gained national recognition with the states that are perceived to be immigrant-friendly mm-hmm. because of the Elm City ID card and because it has built a community of support mm-hmm. from the point of view of law enforcement as well as affording them an identity when they come here, mm-hmm. when they have no other way of achieving proof of their identity. And when you think about it, the other one of the other big concerns of the immigrant community is access to medical services mm-hmm. okay you can't get into a doctor's office this, these days without presenting your license mm-hmm. or some form of identity so the identity card as i said is really the key to the door to being able to have employment opportunities access to medical services access to transportation in terms of being able to get a connecticut driver's mm-hmm. license
0: and you've mentioned it right then, you know, the Ukrainian nationals fleeing don't have time to grab license. But and we've been focusing so much on the Ukraine, obviously, it's the first thing you hear when you turn on the news. We also mentioned that there are a lot of Afghan refugees looking to fill technical and engineering positions.
1: Yes, um, there. And remember, that many of the AF, the displaced Af, Afghan mm-hmm. uh, nationals are here because many of them were interpreters Mm -hmm. for our u.s troops and do speak english fluently Mm -hmm. so they don't have the language barrier that others might have i might also say that there's a large percentage of the ukrainian population that also speaks english Mm -hmm. but we we should not forget that we have many afghan nationals who have technical skills engineering skills there and one of the things we can do in this state another thing we can do is open ourselves up to accepting foreign credentials for purposes of licensing okay we need mm-hmm. to focus on our licensing pro- process i can tell you that i represent a large number of foreign medical graduates And one of the difficult things we're facing these days is getting them a medical license, because the delays Mm -hmm. and the paperwork are often critical to their being able to qualify for certain visa waivers and visa types. So we need to look at our professional licensing process and professional credentialing process in order to make ourselves more user friendly Mm -hmm. to immigrant workers. And it's
0: crazy to hear that because, I mean, it's not in the sense that we've been talking about how just getting licenses needs to be streamlined, but then to hear like there's these doctors and we have such a shortage in nurses and they can't get in the door just because of the process. is frustrating to hear, right? Cause they're qualified, they're ready to go and it's just paperwork
1: holding them back when hospitals need them the most. Exactly, and they become very frustrated mm-hmm. and by the way, the immigrant community does talk mm-hmm. among themselves. Um, they have a great communication network mm-hmm. via the internet mm-hmm. in terms of what states are user friendly and where you can easily obtain a driver's license, mm-hmm. a professional license. As I said, it's important that the state, the state level as well as at the local level, does not make being an immigrant a problem. Mm-hmm. And word travels quickly, mm-hmm. and that's why
0: word is that New Haven is the place to be, right? It's recognized as a good place. You know, you mentioned offering maybe English, lang- English as a second language training, but how are, or what are other ways, I should say, can employers support the immigrants they then hire?
1: Well, I think not only the English language mm-hmm. program and and affording them the opportunity either on site or to have time off to, to attend an English language mm-hmm. program, maybe a flexible schedule, okay? Uh, the other thing is childcare, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Uh, many of the immigrant workers, and particularly now, notably the Ukrainian displaced mm-hmm. nationals, who many of them are women who are coming to the U.S. With without their children. the support yeah. of their husbands, because mm-hmm. their husbands are back mm-hmm. in Ukraine fighting. Um, they need childcare support either on site mm-hmm. at their work site or maybe some type of benefit program that affords them a childcare benefit um, is extremely important. Flexible work schedules so that they can work around their children's school schedules if they don't have any childcare, any extended family to fall back on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That is extremely important. Um, helping them get access to medical services and clinics. Maybe bringing some in on site, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, Transportation. Maybe if you have workers who are coming from a particular area, you're drawing from a city, but you're in a rural area, maybe thinking about creating a carpool among your workforce so that someone who doesn't have a car or a reliable car can hitch a ride.
0: Yeah, that all sounds like a good idea for not even just immigrants just everyone in general but um you're right a lot of them are coming um now without the help of a husband if they had to flee the country quickly and and that obviously puts another burden on them you do you know you went through the statistics of how we're doing um but do we have a significant immigrant population that does need jobs in Connecticut but just because of some of these issues can't
1: get them oh I believe so Mm -hmm. um Part of it is the limitation on visa types. I can tell you that that um, it is frustrating starting at the professional level for many Connecticut employers who have the need to employ foreign nationals but they can't obtain Mm -hmm. an H-1B visa number because they didn't win the lottery in a particular year. Okay. Um, Many people are eligible for DACA who have not taken advantage Mm -hmm. of DACA. We need to basically look at those issues. We need to address the DACA issue and solve that issue. I think we also need what I would call an amnesty program. Mm -hmm. Um, Back in the Reagan administration, if a uh, undocumented worker, and many of them were serving as bookkeepers, serving in grounds and maintenance Mm -hmm. or uh, positions or in construction positions and they were often going from employer to employer because they were undocumented Mm -hmm. and would have to leave an employer. If you paid an extra thousand dollars your immigration sins, if you will, Mm -hmm. were forgiven and you could get a green card. Um, I know that there is a large workforce in Connecticut that is already paying taxes, Mm -hmm. okay, but not having those taxes accredited to them because we need another amnesty program so we can make these workers Mm -hmm. change them from being undocumented to being legal workers. Mm -hmm. Not only in our Mm -hmm. state, but throughout our country. Mm -hmm.
0: My last question for you, and, and we've touched on pretty much a lot of the ways they could do this already through our conversation, but if we did streamline processes, if we did make it so Connecticut was listed on these states of where immigrants want to come to, how could it help
1: the state's economy? Oh, well, I'll t- those statistics <laughs> that I looked at are really, really quite interesting. Um, according to the American Immigration Council, and again, I'm, I'm going to rely on them as a, as a a very credible source. Um, Immigrants in Connecticut have contributed billions of dollars to state and federal tax and federal and local taxes. Um, As consumers, uh, uh, they add billions of dollars to our economy. Uh, Immigrant business owners, okay, remember that a very high percentage of your your self-employed workers were immigrant business owners generate over $1 billion in business um, uh, revenue per year, OK? Immigrant entrepreneurs, Okay, as I said, comprise a large portion of our self-employed workers in Connecticut. They're opening the small businesses. Um, They're bringing back vitality to the city with their small uh, businesses and bringing cultural diversity to the state of Connecticut. And that's another thing that Connecticut employers can do within their own workforces is have internal programs that address the issue of diversity and inclusion and bring greater cultural understanding so that immigrant workers feel mm-hmm. that they um, have access to the workforce and to the same um jobs and opportunities within that workforce um, and are not pigeonholed because of cultural misunderstandings.
0: And also that they'll have the chance to be upskilled like many of their co-workers, right, and continue a career at the exactly. company. Exactly. Remember,
1: those, the, most of the immigrant workers mm-hmm. become U.S. citizens mm-hmm. and learn to speak English. They want to be a contributing part of our communities and our economy.
0: Well, Brenda, thank you so much for stopping by the CBIA BizCast. I know I learned a lot. I think it will be eye-opening to many who listen of just the smaller things that the state can improve on to bring more workers and future residents to our state. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for the opportunity, Allie. And thank you for listening to this week's BizCast. You can listen and subscribe to our podcast on Apple, YouTube, and for more episodes, head on over to CBIA.com.